0: This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Hi, everyone. I have with me today part of the team of Trinacria Theatre Company. I have with me Maria Grazia LaFauci, Quintin Capel, and Sean Devare. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for
1: having us.
2: Thanks for having us Thanks so much.
0: So let's start off with you, Maria Grazia. How? Give us some context. Uh, tell us a little bit about Trinacria pre-pandemic. What kind of oh, work sure. you were doing? Yeah,
1: yeah. Trinacria started in 2016. Both of these guys were here for that moment. And I'm from a really tiny little village in Sicily, in the foothills of Sicily. Very rural, very remote, and was hoping to, you know, make sure that that community felt like they were being kind of represented and heard and seen. and am not sure of the best way to do that. So I started a theater company that was going to be bringing artists to Sicily for a residency um, and to kind of work with the community there. And that's how the company came about. So we began doing these residencies in Sicily and we started in 2016 with this particular piece, which was Colavesche. It's based on a local myth. We used that as our inspiration for our first residency and created a Piece of theater in three weeks, basically, fully devised from uh, scratch, (laughs) no script, just using the story as inspiration. Then we toured it around, and that was how we got going. And that's kind of the way that we've been working since then.
0: Interesting. So, Quentin and Sean, where did you go? So, you went to Sicily for this. Sure did. Okay. And then where did you, where were you traveling from, Quentin?
2: I'm Boston based, and Maria Grazzi and I, we did some scouting, some pre, pre-scouting pre prior to the, the season began. So I was very blessed to be a part of that sort of like, I had never been to Sicily before. I don't know if Sean had ever been to Sicily before prior to that. So it was um, a whole new... Never been before. Getting our feet under ourselves was <laughs> really, at least really important to me. I needed, wanted to make sure I knew where I was and knew the people and understood the landscape and everything else. So
3: yeah.
0: Awesome.
2: Yeah, and then I was part of the New York wing
3: of the company as it began.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh, Maria Grazia kind of approached me about this grand vision, this dream of this, this little company that she had proposed as, as a pipe dream, like years before. And I'm like, well, when, when the day comes, call your banners and I will, <laughs> I will follow. <laughs> <laughs> so we go way back to undergrad at Brown university, um, we did theater together. I was an art art student at RISD. Yeah, we just, uh, we did a lot of theater stuff back back then. And um, when the day finally came, I was like, all right, let's do this. And we held auditions in New York City. And I I helped with that process of finding collaborators who were down to share ideas, cooperate and play, really. Um, And most importantly, we were tasked with finding people who actually cared about the mission statement, cared about not just furthering their own careers as any actor in New York has to, but people who cared about really learning about Sicily and fostering that cultural exchange and not that often one way, I don't know, cultural tourism that often happens. Mm. Yeah. And while, you know, while one of our aims is to promote the arts and, and, you know, be a part of what could be seen as a a tourist industry. It's really about something deeper than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, when you, when you, I I love devised theater, by the way, it's like one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, (laughs) So when you brought that first group together, how many were in that first ensemble?
1: There were eight and we held auditions, like Sean said, in Boston Mm -hmm. and New York to find them. We had about over 50 people audition between the two places, just kind of a magic alchemy of people that came together and worked together really well. We're lucky. Yeah,
3: it truly was. I mean, a, a few of us had known each other in different ways from different kinds of meetings, but just the idea that we could take this group of eight people and be okay living together, communally and also making theater from scratch without a, a really delineated hierarchy was like uh, such a gamble uh-huh. but I, yeah. I think the the kind of rigor that we took in selecting the people and interviewing them really paid off
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, there was a there was a measure of miraculousness at all times. I think we were <laughs> yeah. all very self-aware. We were like this shouldn't yes. be the case. Like I like you guys, but I actually really enjoy working with total strangers, people I had never worked with professionally in any capacity before. So almost every single night at dinner there would be that moment of guys can you believe that this is, like, working?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. So that was always really funny. Wonderful. And, MG, how did you select, or or was it you that selected this story, the Colapesche story,
1: Yeah, I I chose the story when I was kind of researching. I knew that I wanted the theater company to be named Trinacria because that is kind of the ancient name for Sicily. um, And it refers to the three points of the island. And so I was researching the origins of the name. And I was also thinking about stories because there's so many stories in that part of the world. You know, Homer, so many parts of the Odyssey, the ship of Theseus, so many different things take place in that part of the world. But as I was researching the name Trinacria, I came across this story of Colabescia and it's really connected to the three points of Sicily, because part of the story, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but part (laughs) of the story is about these three columns under the three points of Sicily. So it was sort of right there in the name. And I was like, well, this is a perfect place to start. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And did you have from the beginning, the idea that this was going to be for the whole family? Or was this, you know, kind of what, where did that decision come into play?
1: Yeah, I think, Knowing the community that was there, I wanted to make sure that it was something that was going to bring them all together. And it, it's a fable, you know, it's a short one page, the same way that you could tell Cinderella, the same way you could tell it in a 90 minute movie, you could also tell it on one page of paper and mm-hmm. a, a anthology and colapesh was very much the same way that it was a story that just kind of it was short it was there were a million different versions of it and a million different ways to tell it and that was right. also what was so exciting about it cuz each of them was so simple that when you put them all together you kind of see a more complex bigger picture
0: yeah very cool very cool okay so you you're chugging along you've got you've been performing live with this show and uh, tell me just a little bit about what that was like, you know, how long were you able to perform, or how many performances did you do? Where were you performing? What's that picture like?
1: Yeah, so after creating the piece in three weeks, we toured it around five different locations in Sicily, and we didn't perform in any theaters. We were performing in piazzas, in churches, in we went to one museum, actually, that had a courtyard where we were invited to this museum of Sicilian fashion and culture. That was really fun. But we toured around five different places in Sicily, and then we brought it to New York City that same the same week that we got back. We got back, we had a night to rest, and then we all went to, headed down to New York. We performed twice there, and then we toured around a couple different locations in Boston as well in 2016.
0: Cool. Now, this actually brings me to a, an element of the, the play itself, which I find really cool cool and fascinating but i want you to talk to me about and that is the the language so you mm-hmm. were touring you you had you had auditioned people in the united states you were had created in sicily you were performing in both countries now what about the language what were you doing there
1: feel like I should let one of you two talk about that.
0: (laughs) Sean, you went?
3: Yeah, well, you know, it it was interesting because so many of us, um, you know, were just so genuinely interested in Sicily and Italian culture. The majority of us really had nothing directly to do with Italy or Sicily. So, you know, as outsiders coming in, that was a very specific part of why we were trying to do this as well. So, but at the same time, The fact was that only two of us, really, uh, Maria Grazia and uh, our dramaturg, Max, were really the only people in the company that could competently understand Italian. And learning choice words and as much as we could, really, was part of the experience. But then in making this show, which was actually very visual and physical, we were like, okay, what is the most effective way to use language Mm -hmm. And also the most minimal way to use language so that we could focus on creating those stage pictures. Was so much of it was created out of tableaus and choreography. And that was actually a very exciting way to work, especially you know when you have so many artists who are essentially all in charge of one script, well, if we don't have to you know argue about you know the exact way that the lines go, then that's also easier too. But then on top of that, it's like, okay well, Words like, yes, no, come here, go away, or, you know, impossible, you know, like things, <laughs> exclamations of that kind. Right, right. We can we can handle that. And then, of course, the the majority of the language was given to the person we uh, arrived as our narrator, who also was our dramaturg, Max. So the, the device of the narrator actually became very, very important to... The story, especially in bookending, the beginning and the end, framing how the story works and why we're telling it in this way. And then, you know, as such, in adapting for the audio version, that again became very, very important.
0: Right. Right. So now let's take a look at. Okay, so you're you're chugging along, you're performing and the pandemic suddenly shuts everything down. How did that affect you?
1: Well, we had planned, you know, we'd created this piece in 2016. We'd always felt like we'd gotten such an incredible response from people on both sides of the Atlantic from it that they'd really connected with it and that it had, it had this really imaginative quality that even if you didn't speak the language, you could still understand and kind of feel with it. So we wanted to bring it back and we hoped to bring it back in 2020. We were planning on putting it on stage, you know, doing another New England tour, potentially. We talked to a couple venues. And then a pandemic happened and Sean was the one actually who said, I think this would be a brilliant audio story. I remember he talked a lot about these sort of like audio storytelling albums that he'd listened to as a kid that had this kind of mixture of like adventure and music and storytelling and characters and all this. And he was like, I think Cola Pesha would be great for that. And here you have a bunch of <laughs> artists stuck at home with nothing to do. We're like, yeah, let's <laughs> right. do it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's great that you actually answered what was going to be my next question in terms of like, you know, where that idea to bring it to audio originated. And but you had mentioned also uh, about, you know, how visual it was, you know, that you were really doing a lot of visual storytelling. So as you were working on the adaptation for audio, what what was that like for you? What kinds of decisions did you find you were making or challenges that you were facing? I'm
1: looking at Quentin here.
0: Well,
2: <laughs> it was similar to the way that like the, the language barrier gave us a certain artistic constraint to make this story legible, no, no matter who it was, part of the by virtue of the fact that not everybody spoke Italian, it needed to be a story that was The same. It would had to be the same, no matter where we were performing it, and everybody needed to have a level of fluency or a level of contextual clarity on as to what was going on. So, kind of by the same nature, we reexit. It was it was a cool opportunity because it gave us a chance to look at those things that were told visually and that were encapsulated by something as small as like a gesture and expand upon that imagistically with very sometimes too flowerly, flowery language. I had a lot of people keeping me in check when I would stray a little too ham-fisted into the way of Tolkien and things like that. And it's like, well, this is let's keep this for kids. This isn't going to be some epic Game of Thrones adventure. This is going to be something that's still suitable for all ages. But therein lies the the cool part for all of us to kind of reopen these moments within the play that were fleeting, but making them bigger and grander and kind of imbue it with even more characterization, more opportunity to give credence, to celebrate the the lifestyle of Sicily hundreds and hundreds of years ago. How would they fish for tuna? How can we accurately portray that and
1: mm.
2: use these touchstones from history, but also touchstones from the show to kind of grow the story into something that was larger and more sweeping in scale than you could do on on stage in some ways. In some ways, the show the shows are very different, and in a lot of ways they're very similar. But I yeah. think it's those differences, especially sonically, with Sean's <laughs> instrumental presence in the the creation <laughs> of the the environments uh, <laughs> and the soundscapes and the mnemonic devices and the motifs and all these different things they all come together to tell a, a I wouldn't say a richer story. I hesitate a, to say a richer story, but there's definitely a lot more audio, audible personality in, in mm-hmm. certain things. Yeah, yeah.
1: I but if love, I could
0: actually... Oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go.
1: Well, I was going to say, you know, the original we made in three weeks and here we were having this opportunity to revisit it and like spend more time with it and grow on it. That, I think that that did bring us deeper into it in many ways. So I think that's fair to say. For sure. Yeah.
3: yeah. And well, I just wanted to also add in just about the process. You know, it, it definitely snowballed. I mean, I mean, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were just like, okay, well, we don't want to just stagnate as a company because like, we truly don't know how long this thing is going to, you know, last. And here we are year and a half later from, you know, when the lockdown happened and it's while some things are back, it's still very much reality yeah. in different ways. But, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, we wanted to do this, but is there another way to present the story, which we all knew we made this magical thing and did it for, you know, a, a very limited run in, in Sicily in the U.S. And we 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 knew we had this thing that we wanted to share in some way. And, One of our newer company editions, Clara Francesca, who I only reconnected with right before the pandemic and realized that she was Sicilian, she actually started doing a lot of Zoom shows for kids. And I'm like, oh, yes, there are ways you could do that. Maybe like if we just recorded some lines and had some pictures or costumes or excerpts, I don't know. And then the conversation snowballed and then I remembered you know, the audio tapes of th- this one storyteller that I remember listening to for long car rides as a kid. And the music was such a big part of it yeah. as not only just um, the score, on, like un- underscoring the narration, but also sound effects. Like the instrument would provide a lot of that. And as well as the the performer himself making these soundscapes with his, with his mouth and his breath. And so all that kind of snowballed and we were like, okay, let's do this. But then we were at the point where it was just like, okay, but how, how do we, how do we actually write this thing? Because the process for doing devised theater was, I think we had more experience collectively in that, like, okay, let's just take this one scene and we'll split off into groups and let's all try to do it in different ways. And then we'll come together and see what we have. And then maybe, you know, cherry pick the favorite moments that we all brainstorm. But then as far as writing goes, it's just like, oh, okay, well, sure, we can have different people working on writing, but there does need to be a consistent voice in this. And different me- uh, members of our company have different comfort level with writing. And I, I would say initiating writing mm-hmm. because there's like, oh, I, I don't want to write this if-, if someone else wants to write that or or I don't want to change what they wrote. And there's like mm, some-, some hesitancy and Quentin definitely stepped up to the plate and then just like floored us all with so much of the majority of the script being written. And it was like, it was just so, I mean, I was just so impressed and floored by it. And, and then we all kind of went in and did edits to different parts. And then I particularly went through with an eye for, all right, when should music come in? Because in the original production, that was one of my first times using my violin to make up something for a, you know, a theater performance violin was just something that I had in my back pocket. And it was not like a really important part of my career as a theater artist or as an actor, but then it was like, Oh wait, with all the, the physical choreography and the puppetry, the shadow puppetry we had music is actually really important in this somehow. But as a performer, you know, when I'm, playing the king or something on stage, I can't also be playing the violin because it's not that character. So because we were so fortunate to have multi-talented people in the ensemble, two of which returned from the original to be in this, Dario and Max, we were able to have this little music ensemble in the original production, but it was always just a little sketch of what we could possibly do if we were to like actually be on instruments the whole time and we could really choose when is the best way to do music and what instruments and so this was now an opportunity for me to go like okay now i can really decide where all the music should go and that was such a joy to work with Dario Max and most importantly Valerie who was such a vital part of creating the soundscape when Quentin um mentioned this cellist that he had worked with in Boston, I was like, okay, but like, she doesn't know how we work. Does she know the story? Does she, I don't know. Like I play the violin, but but cello could be good. And But then I, I just gave her a couple suggestions and then she totally ran with it, gave me all these options that were wildly beyond my expectations. And I was like, oh, this thing was gonna be good now, but now it will be great because we have these people who are just so talented. Um, so while I'm the, you know, the main music director and I had final say over the general composition and the editing of the music, this, the score, which, you know, as Quinton said, is a such a huge part of the the experience. It truly was uh, a collaborative ensemble
0: yeah. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back.
3: Looking for a way to get some direction and help with building your author platform and marketing your books and audiobooks? Pro Audio Voices created the audiobook marketing program to help authors like yourself get the support they need at an affordable rate. We work with you to bring your goals together with our marketing expertise to create a customized blueprint. The tools and materials to build your platform step-by-step instructions, and the team to help you all along the way. For more information, visit proaudiovoices.com and click on Audiobook Marketing Program. Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing.
0: One of the things that I, I am hearing all of you express and that I so love is this, is really the approach when Faced with limitations, you know, whether it's language or, you know, pandemic, whatever it is, whatever these limitations are, when faced with that, rather than saying, oh, well, like, we can't do that thing. It's really like, okay, this is an opportunity to look at, uh, to grow in new ways. And I think that is, uh, is a tremendous quality that that really um, I, I I just I, I love that, and I just wanted to call that out because I, I I'm seeing that in all of you and i and I love uh, that that's a part of the way that you think about things. and then I want to ask Quentin about the script process, and what would you say was the most challenging aspect for you of converting from the visual idea mm. to an audio narrative?
1: The
2: thing. The hardest thing to approach was this sequence, were the sequences that were predominantly choreography, Mm nonverbal choreography, because obviously a picture can say a thousand words. So now begins the work of saying those literally (laughs) thousands of (laughs) words. You know, so it was. It (laughs) there were many permutations of the script. I think the original version was like ninety-two pages, and we eventually got it down to like seventy or so. But that was the real effort, which it it was kind of a... I was spoiled with riches because something that Maria Grazia did over the course of 2020, 2019, after we had finished the show, she did the Herculean effort of translating all of that, transcribing everything, both versions of the script formatted like you could see the English on one side, Italian on the other. And there was the show. It was just... There it was. You could you could shop out the script to another company and they would get the very, you would get the very same story. Yeah. So I had this version of the script that thrived in tableau, in nonverbal performance. So the real challenge was just translating all of that. What, what was the story trying to say? One brief sequence, one thing that comes to mind is there's one moment in the show where There's a very famous clock tower in Messina called the Il Duomo, and it is the largest astronomical mechanical clock in the world, or at least one of them. I think it might be the biggest, but it is a mainstay in the Sicilian landscape. Every single day at noon, there will be Any given day of the week, a thousand people all looking up at 200 feet into the air at this thing, going through all of its paces with all of these ornate statues circulating and a lion roaring and a rooster crowing. And that's all well and good. And it's lovely and charming to show that to people on a stage. But (laughs) when it's, you're just in your own room with your headphones on, painting that picture is an altogether different story. Right. Um, so that was the real the real challenge. But um, also the dialogue, sort of these moments that would be shared between characters, something that would be as simple as the king giving the princess a skeptical look suddenly becomes this... Dialogue of disagreement of mm-hmm. you get a sense of who these people are what they stand for what their psychology is what their priorities are their status within the world. All of those things suddenly have to be showcased through language. Um, so that was the secondary challenge to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then casting it was the the tertiary challenge of finding everybody of course is, is a very gifted and a very gifted actor and everybody can immerse themselves in any number of characters but also getting the technological components into place to give everybody the the means to shine as brightly as they possibly could right. was was the final hurdle that we needed to that we needed yeah. To, yeah
0: let's let's dive a little bit into well let me ask first mg the uh when you did the audio cast how many actors did you have at that point
1: we had seven right is that correct? Yeah, seven, and playing, I think, upwards of 40 characters, split amongst time, Which is very much in line with what we did in the show, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then let, let's dive a little bit into that, yeah. you know, the technical side of things. So the the actual getting studios set up, getting actors with their their equipment set and settings and everything uh, workable. So this this project was narrated or recorded In a group session or group sessions that where everyone was in their own studio Mm -hmm. recording remotely. Yes. Uh, Either Quentin or MG, you want to address what that was like or or maybe just even what you found were some of the biggest challenges in that.
1: Well, I'll, I'll go ahead because I'd never done something like this. Quentin's a professional voice actor, like has a whole equipment set up. I'm currently on a headphone with a microphone, as you can see. Um, but that was also part of the reason why we called you, Becky, and why we were so excited to have Pro Audio Voices helping us because, you know, we'd never done anything like this before. We had no idea in many ways what we were doing. And, you know, like I said, Quentin is a professional voice actor and a producer. And at the same time, like... We'd never created anything of this scale and scope before. And so I think having your assistance was really huge in that. And like you said, we had group audio recording sessions. We felt like that was going to be important that we could all hear one another and see one another and try to do that as best as we could in a COVID safe way. I was in a closet under my stairs (laughs) 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 Um, with a microphone that had been lent. No, I, I bought a microphone that then we sent to the next actor So that he could record his lines, you know, so we were really makeshift. That's my piece on it. Quentin, you can, you did a lot of the tech, the heavy lifting. So,
2: (laughs) yeah, it was just like kind of a quick crash course for a number of people of what the right decibel level is, what kind of, (laughs) what sort of environment you should be recording in, how you can dampen sound just sort of bare bones techniques on how to get the most sound out of your microphone. Yeah. So there was that, that initial hurdle. But yeah, like like Maria Grazia mentioned, I think having everybody in the same space moving through the piece as one, as a, as a single organism was just really useful for everybody, not only to wrap their heads around what other people were doing, but just to wrap our heads around what the piece was. Because this was the first time that we all read through it out loud. Like, we had all reviewed the script in silo, independently, quietly reading amongst ourselves. But it was the first time that we were able to get a sense of how it flowed, and it gave it, it. It influenced some restructuring after the fact. I think a little bit, some minor tweaks here and there. We realized, and, oh, this actually, this moment should go here, or we should grow this a little bit more differently. But luckily, people like, especially the musicians. The musicians were very affluent with their recording equipment because they have to professionally submit things like that. Tristan, who played the t- the titular character, Cola Pesce, <laughs> he is also a professional work voice actor working in New York. So, it, it, and Clara as well. Clara is a professional voice actors so all of these people had a level of a baseline fluency but I think I think it was also an opportunity for all of us to learn myself included all of us learned how to do our jobs better Um, all of us learned how to work with our equipment work with our instruments be they vocal or literal instruments I think everybody learned a great added a lot of tools to their arsenal I think by the end of the entire thing I was coming at it with a weird sensibility because I, after our group sessions, we kind of had like, I had one-on-one sessions with each of the actors to kind of do pickups and revisit certain moments. And it was kind of this filmmaker sensibility of like, all right, take one, take two, take three. And we did a (laughs) couple of things like that. And I think by the end of the project, there were 430,000 unique render files. Mm -hmm. So that that (laughs) was, uh, you know... It was it's a two and a half hour epic, so like you know, four hundred thousand computes to I, I guess that math checks out. But it was definitely it was a lot of material to inherit, but it was also a joy to work on because everybody was bringing hundred and ten percent every single time. I was getting render files at like twelve in the morning from Tristan, and I'm just like, God, this guy. <laughs> everybody's everybody's just doing given everything they can, which is just. So incredible, so miraculous, and, and from unexpected places, too. The greatest treat for me was there, there was there is a prologue in this story, which is only touched upon fleetingly in the actual show, in the stage show. And this was one of the opportunities for us to tell that story in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And it's the story of, I don't want to give too much away, but it takes place in in the time. And even though this was a fake period of time in human history. We wanted to try and uh, represent it vocally, with some vocal consistency with our accents, because I think our original interpretation, I was doing some sort of northern accent as the father of this character, and she was doing a very proper British accent. And not only are those two very disparate regions, like this this child was not raised by this man, it couldn't possibly be the case. So (laughs) we kind of... Clara and I, who was my scene partner, we put our heads together and tried to wrap our our vocal cords around, how are we going to sound together? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, it would probably be, Maria Grazia said, it would probably be original pronunciation, kind of like classic Shakespearean companies do. A lot of people do it Mm -hmm. in in the UK, and I said, wow, that's that's a whole different beast. But I reached out to David and Benjamin Crystal, who are the preeminent OP scholars of the planet, really. They're like the yeah. c- celebrities within the field. And I reached out to D- Professor Crystal, and I said, hey, David, I'm working on this thing. Would you be interested in giving me some pointers, Clara and myself, some pointers? And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. And so he woke up on a Saturday extra early to, to meet with Clara and I. He, and he coached us for two and a half hours. And he just went through the scene. Wow. And he identified lines and he said, you know, he probably wouldn't say it like that. He'd probably say it like this because this gives you opportunity to play with the vowel sounds. So that's just another chance for you to really lean into the dialect And dialect was a huge thing. Dialect dialect in Sicily is not the same as Italian. They they you could go you could speak Italian in Sicily and people might there would be a lot of mistranslation.
1: Vice versa. And vice versa.
2: (laughs) So it was just another opportunity for us to rub another layer of polish onto an unsung portion of the show, a whole new portion of the show, but with the same level of thoughtfulness and authenticity as we possibly could. So that was just like an incredible gift to have two and a half hours with the dude who (laughs) pontificates (laughs) and writes and submits essays and publishes all these sorts of bodies of work. Just he dedicates his life to this. So that was just a real treat as well. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then... We, that brings us kind of to the launch. What, MG, you want to address, like, what platform you decided to go with and and how that went for you? Kind of what was your approach to that?
1: Yeah, so because this was not a traditional audiobook, I guess, we didn't want to necessarily just kind of go with, you know, obviously there are amazing platforms for audiobooks out there, Audible and all those amazing things. But we did want to kind of have a little bit of a launch party. So we partnered together with this platform called VUC which is uh really coming to its own obviously during the pandemic because it's all about virtual events space and you can kind of link from other things like YouTube or Zoom or any of these platforms that now you know we're all getting really used to using and VUC kind of treats it as if it was an actual event. So you can purchase a ticket, you can go in the thing that's happening the performance is right up at the top so you can kind of focus your energy on that but then there is a chat underneath so you can kind of get that little bit of the live interaction between between people and I really appreciated all of that about what they were doing because we wanted it to feel a little bit like a party when we launched this even though at that point people were still closed up in their houses so yeah yeah to the best of our ability let's make this a moment of coming together and I really am glad that we did that
0: that's great And I know that there was, uh, even just in setting the time for the performance, just like knowing that some of your audience was in Sicily and some of it was in the United States and various parts and so many time zones to address and just really some thoughtfulness around when that, when you were going to set that time. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And we also, you know, checked with a couple people who had kids to ask them, you know, is Saturday or Sunday better?
0: Like, do you usually have soccer? Is soccer happening yet? Like, is that a thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the next question is uh, so, what's next? What do you, are you working on anything now? What's, you know, what's next for Trinacria?
1: Yeah, we're excited to get back to doing things in person, which is wonderful. So, in July, I was in London. We had received a grant from the Arts Council of England just before. The pandemic started, uh, and we obviously had to put those plans on hold, and this was for our next project, which is called the Hades and Persephone Project, which is a retelling of three different Sicilian myths, um, one of which is Hades and Persephone. The other two are less well-known to non-Sicilian audiences, but they're really connected through history. So I was in London in July to work on that. And that was such an exciting, wonderful thing. I got to spend two weeks in a room with actual actors and it was very COVID safe. We tested every day, we wore masks, but it was just the thrill of getting back to doing live theater. So that project is going to return again in 2023, But in 2022, we're going to be hosting an open residency. This is our first time doing this. We're not bringing a company of actors to all work on a play together. We're bringing four individual artists to Sicily and kind of giving them the space to create their own work independently. Um, And in community with our community as well that's a really important part of it as well that they have to be sharing what they're doing and that there's going to be participatory pieces to what they're doing and they were really specifically selected because of that but they are for insane wonderful international artists from all over the world and i just can't wait to be with them in sicily and watch them create awesome things together with the folks we serve with our company.
0: Well, that sounds very exciting. So I think it would be great if you would let people know, our listeners know where they can find the audiobook version, or if there are, let me ask this first, are there any future performances or current performances on ViewC of (laughs) Color
1: Yes. So it is still up on VUCI, so you can still access it that way. That was another cool thing about that platform was that it wasn't just the live event. It continues to be hosted there. But also you can find it on our website, theater.com, which is theater with an R-E. Or if you just Google Trinacria Theater Company, you'll find us. But you can also download it there. That's the easiest way. It's also up on some other platforms through ACX, all those types of platforms. So you can find it anywhere you can find audiobooks really
0: <laughs> great, great, and we'll put a link to uh, your website in the show notes for the for this episode. Thank I, you. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. This has been an awesome conversation, and I've been it's been a real delight working with you guys.
1: Thank you, Becky. Likewise. It was so good to work with you too. All right. Thank you for everything. Thanks.
0: Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. Please take a moment to subscribe at audiobookconnection.com. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at proaudiovoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us next week.